Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Mark Boris and this is Straight Talk. biggest sales to come out of Australian business recently is the business called Sweat. The digital workout platform co-founded by Adelaide entrepreneurs Kyle Edsonese and with me in the studio today is Toby Pierce, one of the founders. This is the first time he's spoken about the mammoth $400 million sale in July 2021 and Toby's recent departure from that company as the CEO. This is a chat with a young and outrageously successful business owner, but it's got nothing to do with the business rather how the business shaped him. But like anything, there's always a lot more behind the glitz and the glam. How do you function when the spotlight is shining bright on you, when it's shining bright on your partner, who happens to be your life partner as well at the time, and when the light's shining on your business? It's time for No Bullshit with Sweat's Toby Pierce. Toby Pierce, welcome to Straight Talk, mate. Thanks for having me, mate. Been Long a while. Time. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, it's three years now. Yeah. Uh, I, I, when you walked in, I just thought, man, this guy put a bit of beef on. Uh. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't want to say you look fat or anything. Yeah. I, mean, like, I'm, I mean, apart from you looking like a rock wheelie, you got black and tan on. I nearly wore the tan shoes, lucky. Yeah. We would have been right, both rocking the same gear. Yeah, but, well, that uh, means but, we, have, we both have really good taste. Yeah, I, I think I said previously, oh, they were a bloody shit taste. But, uh, <laughs> but, but no, you, you, you look like you bulked up. And, and I think that... It's muscle. It looks like you're obviously doing a fair bit of training. Thanks, mate. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, well, I think as you know, obviously, I'm on the other side of uh, on the other side of the first business deal now, so I'm a, a little bit more relaxed, a little less stressed, uh, got a little bit more time to go to the gym. So, were you stressed? Yeah, what, you're running the business. Like, yeah. how stressful is it? Well, I mean, like most things, it goes through phases, right? Some things are, you know, not as good. Some things are, you know, not so bad. But I think. Um, I think, yeah, I'd suggest that, that a lot of the world kind of goes like, yeah, like be a founder, you know, be an entrepreneur, like it's awesome, it's great, you know, ditch the nine to five. And um, what they, a lot of the time, I think a lot of people misunderstand is that, especially when you're the founder or CEO, like everything is ultimately reliant on you, right? Yeah. It's this notion of uh, extreme accountability, which I think is awesome and I love it, but it doesn't mean I always love every minute of it, you know, like there's certainly some parts that are more difficult than others. That's really interesting and probably really important point. Um, how long do you think? How long were you guys doing it for? Well, I mean, properly, like, you know, on the app side, about five years. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I've been in the fitness industry since 2012. So, you know, it's not nine, ten years worth of, 
you know, fitness-related business, obviously, to kind of get to, you know, where, where I ended up finishing. Do you think we have, as individuals, as founders, we might only have like 10 years in us before mm-hmm. we need a big rest? Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting question, right? I mean, I mean I'd, I'd probably respond to that by being curious about, well, like, what is it that actually, like, brings about the notion of being really drained? You know, like, what is it that actually does that? And I think, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, the high, certain high-stress events, business is not always positive. You know, the line's not always kind of, you know, firing upwards. Um, but, I mean, like, generically speaking, yeah, if you're if you're doing exactly the same thing and it's not changing and evolving, I think that gets hard. Um, I think part of the, you know, positive part of our journey was that we, yeah, every three or four years, we had a pretty big innovation or iteration, you know, kind of occur in the journey. Um, and that that kept it pretty enjoyable, that's for sure. But I mean, the the latter part of the journey, um, you know, we had you know entered the pandemic, which was very hard for everybody in a lot of different ways. And you know, during that, we'd also kind of already been you know, entering this notion of like preparing to transact with the business, which is hard. And then obviously we got to the transaction, which is you know really hard really as hard. well, like a massive change. Um, so I mean. I'd probably say tired or, you know, needing a bit of a break is probably different to uh, you know, being like disengaged or needing to stop, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, because yeah, like I, I've been through it sort of myself and I remember Gladwell's book talked about this whole concept of before you become expert in anything, you have to put in like 10,000 purposeful hours mm. of practice. Mm. And it wasn't his idea, by the way. It was mm. a hypothesis he borrowed from somewhere else. And I used to think to myself, well, that's, you know, it's good content for a book, you mm. know, people talk about it, Malcolm Global is who I'm talking about. Mm. And um, and then I calculated the amount of purposeful hours I probably spent in my wizard business mm. and it was around 10,000 hours. Yeah, yeah. I don't know anybody, even a, a person between t- 10 and 20 mm. years of age, who can actually go much further than doing really – purposeful, concentrated, focused effort mm. on any one thing. It doesn't matter with your board or, you know, it's not a matter of being physically uh, out of juice mm. because a 20-year-old's not out of juice. I think it's more about mental fatigue and creativity fatigue mm. and just the fatigue of dealing with investors, um, yeah. the fatigue of dealing with journalists, staff issues, etc. Mm. I wonder whether it is more than 10,000 hours in us. You know, like that could be a 10-year period. That's 1,000 mm. hours a year, which is, uh, you know, 20 solid hours a week, mm. purposeful hours. Yeah. Because you, you spend 20 hours, if you do 60 hours a week, mm. you're not going to do 60 purposeful hours. Oh, it's, it's not all focused effort. No, no, no. You do no, 20 no. hard hours, a third mm. of it, and the other rest of it's talking shit. Yeah. I mean, you have to do it, <laughs> yeah. it's, but it's it's infill stuff. Yeah, yeah, Did absolutely. you experience that? Oh, like for sure. Yeah, and even, you know, on the 10,000 10, hours thing, like definitely I'm very bought into that philosophy Uh I mean, I, I first heard about it in a book by Robert Greene, which is called Mastery, right? Which is, you know, generically speaking and creating a framework for how do you go from being a beginner at something to being a master. And, you know, it's the do your apprenticeship, do your 10,000 hours. There's all these, you know, great axioms that he mentions in there. But and in, and in business in general, like obviously, you know, I think, I mean, I, I'd argue whether or not some people are doing much less than 20 hours a week of quality work. And what I mean by that is, you know, uh, attending a meeting and not commenting on anything or, um, you know, like being passive, you know, traveling, all those sorts of things, they don't obviously add up. They don't no. account to the hours. You know, so if you think about it, it's like how many hours did you spend working on your business as opposed to just in it? Mm. Um, and, and early on, 
you know, when you have less capital, less resources, less you know, team members and whatever, you know, you're, you're, you're the CEO is the chief everything officer, yep. right? It's the jack of all trades. It's not really a chief executive officer yet. Um, you know, that transition happens over time. And so if at the beginning you're doing admin, you know, you're paying bills, writing job descriptions, hiring and firing people, whatever it might be, um, they're all important skills. And I think you need to, to build those skills as well. But, you know, if you really want to, you know, become proficient at your business or just even business in general, like the you know it requires specific focus and if you think about the way that most founders actually get into business well you know what what is it really like a lot of the time it's someone who has a subject matter skill in a particular area and they're super passionate about it and they make a business out of it right yeah you know or they've got pre-existing knowledge right and so i mean a simple example from my journey was being a subject matter expert in fitness or personal training means nothing in business like that skill doesn't like that being good at that and then registering a business like an ABN, Australian business number, getting a bank account, that doesn't all of a sudden make you good at business. Yep. You, 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 if you've spent 10,000 hours in fitness, now you have this wonderful opportunity to spend 10,000 hours in business. Yeah, you become know. good at business. Right. And in the same sense, you know, like if you've done 10,000 hours of working out, it's like, well, that's great. But working out is only one skill within the fitness thing, right? You have to understand you know, programming, exercise selection, exercise technique, nutrition, business is no different. Like, yeah, sitting in meetings, doing finance, that's great. There's some skills, but the list of skills is, you know, huge. You were a lawyer before this, weren't you? No, so I did a, I did a double degree in law and commerce. Yeah, but which, you didn't practice as a lawyer. No, I, I didn't even finish the double degrees. I dropped out just, well, probably a year and a half or, or something like that before finishing um, because I had, you know, this the first version of this business. Um so I'd been doing some personal training and you've basically been doing law and commerce at university. But, um, and yeah, I, I don't think being a lawyer would have suited my personality. You know, I talked to you last time. I thought it was, mm. this guy knows everything about uh, the digital mediums and social media. Like uh, mm. you, you got pretty good at that stuff. Well, yeah. a big part of sweat was that. Yeah, Like sure. t- telling people the story. Dis- distribution. Yep. Distributing the story. Yeah. Um, is really, really important. Um, and I thought to myself, he must be spending a lot of time to get good at this. Like he must, because you know, you yeah. know, there's no real course in this stuff. Well, no, I mean, uh, there's there's bits now. There's yeah, a little yeah, bit of now life. there is. Yeah. yeah, go back to you know, go back to 2013, 2014, right? You know, advertising on social media is kind of new. You know, Instagram is really new. Like that, we're still talking like chronological, you know, uh, content distribution in the news feed, no videos, yeah. no adverts, no real direct messaging. You know, we were messaging people on different messaging platforms to talk to them from Instagram. You know, like we're yeah. talking like this is like the Wild West, you know, like compared to what it is now. Um, you know, a big influencer had 10,000 fans. Like yeah. if you've got anything less than a million now, kind of, you yeah. know, you, are, you, are you really a, yeah. are you serious? Are you really a serious size influencer? Yeah. Not really. So early on, uh, I mean, I, I my initial thought process, you know, other than just constantly Googling acronyms and words to try to understand what they mean was, uh, so because I said to myself, I'm like, were the people in the world who are the best at this? Yeah, and when this, I'm saying, you know, you know, advertising or, you know, performance marketing, media buying, uh, you know, email and CRM marketing, which wasn't even really called that then, you know, um, uh, web, SEO, SEM, all these sorts of things. I'm like, wh- where are these people? And I came to this really quick conclusion um, that initially, so firstly, there wasn't really that many of them, you know, like we were still quite at the beginning of the days, number one. Uh, number two, um, most of them were not in Australia. Yeah, and so early on in my career, for for, for the first 
probably five years, I would have spent nearly six months a year in America just networking with different founders or people that were really, you oh, know, really? high up in these companies. Yeah, like meeting them because otherwise, you know, how, do, how can I like benefit from all of the inefficiencies of their learning? How can I just get the value today, save my own time and effort and then, you know, go and implement the value? And so you early on, like a lot of our early on success like came off the back of really being able to leverage, you know, organic social media, paid social media and email marketing. Because not many people were really doing it, you know, well or at all at that time. Um, so that was kind of like my first obsession in business because it was the most obvious need, you know, like as in I'm not going to go and figure out like how to do legal paperwork and recruitment or whatever. We had one employee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I needed to find it's a way to – Yeah, I needed to find a way to generate revenue. Because we already had the product, the revenue was always going to come from distribution. Yep. And so, so, yeah, I spent a lot of time trying to understand that. If you look at the 10,000 hours, at the amount of time it takes to build a business and sell a business, by the end of it, and you said something very interesting back there, and I remember my own experience with the Sailor Wizard, which we sold to General Electric. Mm. It was sort of similar numbers to what you guys sold for, mm. but it was a fair while ago. We settled in uh, December 2004, mm-hmm. settled, got the money. We started the deal in February 2004. Mm-hmm. The deal was done. Like, you know, we agreed the, the terms. Yep. But what I found, one of the experiences I had is that it's easy for someone to say to you, look, I'll give you a hundred bucks for something. Mm. And this is what I want. And by the way, there's a couple of conditions associated with it. Yep. You can't compete. Yeah, we need you to consult for a couple of years so we can, you know, transition everybody in and we don't mm. lose anyone, a few little bits and pieces. And you say, yeah, no worries. Then they say, but guess what? We now need to do due diligence. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I often say due diligence are two words for getting a discount, reducing the price that, because uh, yeah. they spend – they must have spent six months of that seven-month period, eight-month period mm. um, trying to work out how to reduce the price. And what they do is they go look for risks. Mm. So they're inside your – they're in your home mm. effectively. Mm. So you invite Looking them in. Looking for defaults and Correct. defects. And yeah. even if it's not a default, they want to try to convince you that it could potentially one day become or a problem. if you don't agree with it, mm. warrant it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Warranties give, and give me a warranty. W&I, W&I insurance. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so off we go. it's sort of like uh, it's quite an interesting thing. Like you get, you're basically in, inviting them into your home and saying, just go around my house, find every defect you possibly can. It doesn't even matter if it's the smallest chip of paint or if something ha- hasn't happened. Mm. And then give me your list. And then because we agreed a hundred bucks for the for the house, but give me the list, and then we'll work out how do we yeah. reduce the hundred bucks by all those defects. Mm. And by the way, Mark, if you don't agree on the defects and your defect, then you better give me a warranty, mm. like a guarantee mm. that if that becomes a defect, well, you'll pay for. I'll it. pay for it yeah. in due course. <laughs> Did you go through that? Absolutely. Yeah, it is fucking painful. So uh, we we went through it twice because. We, we were doing a, a separate uh, non-related transaction in 2019. So went through that process, yeah, et cetera, et cetera, um, for a variety of reasons that that particular transaction didn't, didn't come to fruition about 36 hours out from when we thought that it was going to come to fruition. So, I mean, that was a, uh, a character-building exercise, that one. And then COVID hit and then we went through this process. And, uh, yeah, absolutely no different. Yeah, and it's at the end of the day, uh, the way I always looked at this, right, every single person that goes into a transaction of this type, no matter which role you're playing, either in business A or business B, buying or selling, whatever, everyone's afraid, mm. right? You know, if you're the seller, you're afraid that the deal is not going to happen. You're afraid that you're going to discount me or you're going to give me an absolutely excruciatingly painful, you know, borderline erroneous list of conditions that I have to agree to 
which are unpalatable and therefore the deal won't happen. And so you're constantly in this, this fear loop, right? And then the person on the buying side, you know, all the people doing the due diligence work want to make sure that it's thorough and proper because they don't want to be found out that if in the future something happens, they, don't want to fuck it up. they made a mistake. Right. They just don't want to be responsible. Right. And then so then they give the, the DD information then to the people who are ultimately making the decision. And then of course all of those people are like, well, I don't want to make the wrong decision. Or well, the, the DD better not I will just we'll bring the price down and we'll put these terms in to you know protect us. And Cover. yeah. And the reality is, um, you know, whether you're buying a business for ten million bucks, ten billion dollars, whatever there is no guarantees or protection. Like it's a judgment call. Like they're Correct. making a big judgment call. But, um, you know, the, the, it's, the process is really funny because there's not many other types of uh, asset sale or acquisition that are like that. So if you use the house example you provided, right, we're going to do an auction because that's what happens with businesses. We do an auction, we bid, 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 and we agree a price and we'll just call it 100 bucks, right? If you do this with a house, cool, 100 bucks, and you go, yep, cool, sign, da, 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 da. I'm going to walk through. Building inspection, oh, 10K worth of paint needs to be done. Some cracks here that we need to fix up. Oh, the pavers are moved. Maybe we should relay those. Oh, you know, the veranda needs one of the pillars replaced because it's, you know, I don't know, it's, it's falling apart or whatever. I need you to mow the lawn. You know, oh, that, that outdoor pl- uh, plumbing's not working. You're going to need to fix that. You know, all these things, right? But that doesn't happen. When you buy a house, you do the auction. Yep. And then you get the keys. That's called buy beware. You buy the joint? Correct, right. sweet. Yeah. um, Yeah, and obviously, you know, when you're buying a business, presumably buying a business price is going to be bigger than than traditional house sales. So I can understand that. But it's a a very painful process to go through. And, um, of course, every single time that happens, and you'd be able to relate to this, right, price is 100 bucks, 10 days goes by. Oh, maybe there's a bit of risk here in, you know, this area. Oh, five bucks. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, cool, yeah. Another week goes by. Oh, we found another one. Here's another five bucks, right? But that's not even the the last part of it, though, right? Like once you get to the price, then there's the well, how are we going to do the payment? Yeah, yeah, we'll pay over time. Yeah, right. Or, and so mo- most deals leave some in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mo- most transactions look like some form of staged or conditional payment anyway. So the price it sets not necessarily always the one that's paid. Like almost all of the deals that I hear about and see happen that way. It's very very rarely is it just like here's ten bucks. Like, and, and lawyers, so I mm. mean, the people who they, they charge you for every. I mean, I'm not having a crack at lawyers, <laughs> but but like you've got to have them because yeah. the, the the buyer, the vendor, mm. will have you know one of the big firms mm. for sure, mm. and they just pile people on it left, right, and center. Like there'll mm. be you know ten ten lawyers on on their buy side. Yeah, which you think to yourself, I got to I'm gonna have to match them, so I'm gonna have to get a big firm. Or, or a, <laughs> nah, I I I I never really kind of cared too much for that as bad as that sounds um and i don't mean that like by any disrespect to anyone i've ever dealt with but i'm also like i'm quite a i'm a bit of a utilitarian it's like whatever it is i need to achieve i'll get one but you have lawyers that's it yeah for sure yeah for sure i mean to be honest really fortunate i think that uh yeah i think out of all the professional services that we got we actually like got quite lucky um over the period of the whole business journey absolutely have had some horrendous providers and partners we work with but in particular for the transaction we were like very fortunate yeah, I was like, yeah, I had my brother. I won't say the name. It was one of the big investment banks. He managed <laughs> director of one of the big investment banks, like foreign investment banks in Australia, and he mm. had a whole team on it. 
you said like you had a previous buyer mm. who walked, okay? Because yeah. something didn't work. You couldn't, yeah. you couldn't work out some some issue. There was always, yeah. And with all these things, they come through with about 30 issues and eventually get down to about two issues. There might be two mm. issues left. There's always two issues left. I don't yeah. know what the hell. Yeah. There's always two or three. This new problem we've discovered. Yeah, and by the way, if you don't mm. agree with these, the way we're, we're going to walk. Mm. And that's always the, mm. what you don't want to hear, but that's what you're going to mm. hear every time. And sometimes <laughs> they walk, okay? And they're sometimes looking for a reason to walk, but other times they're looking for a reason for you to – just to bust you. Mm. And I remember um, we had two issues mm-hmm. and um, they uh, they had two law firms, mm. two big Sydney law firms, well-known. So they said, let's have a meeting at 12 o'clock. The first shift of the lawyers of the purchaser came in at 12 and stayed to 6 p.m. <laughs> My lawyers are there, you know, pretty tired. It was six hours and we couldn't resolve these two issues. Mm. That firm of lawyers left. And the second firm came in at 6 p.m. I went, my God, what's going on the here? The rotating evening yeah. shift. And I thought, well, how long am I going to be here? Well, we're there, we're there all night till 9 a.m. the next morning. But what happened was that uh, on the two issues, they were warranty issues. Mm. And a lot of times there's warranty about tax. Oh, yeah. Do you ever have, have you paid all the tax for this company? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how do you hell do you yeah. know? Like mm. you say, well, we paid all the taxes that we've been billed. But they said, well, what, but what about if there's a, a, an audit on you? Mm. Tax officers discover something there that you don't know about. We mm. go, well, if they do, I don't know. Like, what do you say to that? Like, mm. so we had to give a tax warranty for seven years. Okay, yeah. we were negotiating on how far and how much the warranty mm. was for how much. And uh, at midnight, they said to me, "Well, our chairman, who was the chairman of the at the time of the world's largest company, the buyer was the mm. world's largest company, headquartered in Boston." wants to talk to Kerry Packer <laughs> about this warranty. And uh, and I said, well, no worries. And I thought, God, I thought they're bluffing mm. me. Mm. I said, and they said, if they can't resolve, those two can't resolve the warranty, that uh, they're going to walk. Mm. I said, no worries. Uh, I'll get Kerry. It's midnight. Like, yeah. I'm going to get Kerry. I'm going to wake him at midnight like you know, <laughs> way of midnight to talk to the chairman of the world's largest company out of Boston, whatever time was there. Like, mm. And they said, yeah, well, we want to do it unless we can resolve this warranty here and now. Mm. So I grabbed hold of the um, the Australian head of this particular buyer um, and we went into, in those days, it was a compactus room. You don't see them. Anymore. Oh, yeah. yeah walked yeah, in the compactus yeah. room. I said, well, <laughs> how do you get out of where everybody was? I walked in the compactus room, closed the door. I said, listen, we traded. We did a trade on something and I was prepared to meet halfway and I said, because – Kerry, I've spoken to him, mm. and Kerry is available to talk to your chairman. Mm. And he must have been bluffing because he pretty much shit himself. Because <laughs> I said Kerry's enraged, by mm. the way, that I had to wake him mm. in the middle of the night mm. and he is ready to get stuck into your chairman. And he said, oh, oh no, no, no. He said, uh, well, yeah, let's just look at this warrant here. And mm. we, we did a deal in the compactus room mm. and Amazing. we walked out. We, and so – but the funniest part about it is that when – so, you know, we had to do all the documentation, went through to 9 the next morning, we had a press conference, all that sort of stuff, and uh, it was announced. And then I rang Kerry because I hadn't rung him about meeting this mm. chairman. I didn't ring I just lied. Um, that was bluff. <laughs> and uh, when I rang Kerry in the night, 9 o'clock in the morning, he didn't sound too well and um, – or too happy to hear from me, 9 a.m. But he knew the transaction had occurred because we told all these guys. Mm. And he said, son, I don't want you ever to – gamble my money again. And I said, well, what do you mean? What do you gamble your money? He said, mm. well, that tactic of yours, that bluff, he said, there's no way I could have 
spoken to that chairman. Mm. He said, because right now I'm in St. Vincent's Hospital and I've been here for three days. Oh, no. Yeah, because he had kidney problems and heart problems. Oh. And he said, uh, I would not have been able to talk to anybody. He said, I was like dosed up in the hospital. Mm. He said, so next time before you go off and um, – Just check. Yeah, yeah just check. <laughs> but I did call their bluff. But, and, and that's the nature of it. Like so – and I, what you're saying is you experienced this process yeah. in the one that fell over. What about the deal that you did? Did they hold you to some to, – the two or three – outstanding items that might have led them to walk? Yeah, I mean, look, we had some of those things that you mentioned as well. I think, um, yeah, we were going through a like an interesting transition with uh, like some of our like relationships with different organisations at the time. You mean suppliers? Yeah, yeah. basically, yeah. And uh, like long story short, it was just one of these things where I didn't really think that it was a big deal. Like as I was, this is just like normal part of business. Um, uh, you know, the the CEO and founder of the company on the other side, and we're talking about a many, many, many billion dollar business on the other side. Um, he's like, oh, you know, Toby, I think we should I think we should have a chat. Let's just pause everything for a second. And, of course, I'm sitting there being like, shit. Oh, this, no. Yeah, and so, so anyway, so, of course, I, I've, I've got a coach, like as a psychologist or whatever, and I was like, oh, I call him up and I'm like, in 15 minutes' time, I've got a phone call. And I was like, I've been on phone calls like this before. His name's Travis. And I'm like, Trav. I'm like, I've been on phone calls like this before. What the hell's going to happen, Trav? And he's like, Toby, he's like, you just got to, you know, just all the normal coaching things, right? You know, jump on the what call. What do you say? What do you say? He's like, at the end of the day, he's like, you're great at your job. He's like, what's going to happen is going to happen. He's like, if you want to increase the likelihood that you're successful, then do the best possible job on the phone call. He's like, it's that simple. Because he's like, there's not like, there's no magic 10 word sentence that's going to convert yeah, 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 yeah. someone into a, you know, an amazingly high performer, you know, if they weren't previously. So, anyway, especially with 15 minutes notice. Correct. Right. And so I'm sitting there and I'm, you know, and I'm borderline, um, yeah, borderline kind of crapping myself, if I'm honest. Because I was a little bit like, well, I've been in, I've had, like, I've been through this exact process before the whole, hold on, let's just stop for a sec. Senior person on the other side calls. And the last time I had this conversation, you know, the Deals deal off. was off. Right. And so this is like, you know, almost like just, you know, 360 happening all over again. Um, and so anyway, yeah, long story short, jump on the phone call and this particular thing, you know, he's kind of going, he's like, look, you know, he's like, we're going to do the deal. We are, we are going to do the deal. And for one second I was like, oh, thank God. Oh, yeah, thank God. And he's like, unless. <laughs> and I'm like, anyway, and he's, he's like, unless, he's like, you know, you're going to have to get these contracts uh, sorted out in the next seven days. And I didn't respond like saying what I'm about to say now, but like in my head, my initial thought was, I'm like, this has been a 12 month project. Yeah, why ask me now? Yeah, like, uh, this, and we've probably got another three months anyway. Um, what do you want to make sure there's continuity continuity of supply, something like that? Yeah, well, but basically, it was you know any organisation changing suppliers or even just changing supplier agreements is obviously a, it's a perceived risk, which I yep. think is fair. Yeah, like, I, I wouldn't debate that. Um, but it was more so uh, just like that that had been a known known yep. yeah for the whole kind of process of the transaction. And so obviously, you know, we get towards the end of it and I'm kind of like, oh, you know, no one's really, no one's really said that this is a problem. So it's it's been, you know, um, provided as uh, information. So I'm assuming it's not. It was kind of like one of those last minute things that the whole like one or two yep. issues that comes up at the end. And anyway, and so like, so naturally, um, yeah, when you're on a phone call like that, there's only one appropriate response. Absolutely, of course, I'll get that done for you before mm. the end of the week. And this was one of those occasions where I was like, I have absolutely 0% confidence that I'm going to complete that task <laughs> by the end of the week. But, you know, like you got, you got to kind of play the part. Um, uh, magically, it 
we did end up getting it done before the end of the week and the deal with it and I'm going through obviously and you know that was that was all great but I mean again it's sort of I think one of the things I said earlier from the outside everyone kind of gets really excited about yeah, the totally. notion of being an entrepreneur and a founder and it's fun and it comes with all these perks and just to be clear I like I love that stuff like I live and I live and breathe for this sort of stuff um yeah but I don't wake up every day wanting to have one of those conversations yeah, like, you know, there's there's this uh, almost like continuous and sustained like existential threat complex that happens in business. There's yeah. always the next biggest, you know, barrier or problem you're dealing with. And when you're dealing with a, a transaction in particular, like as you know, it's like, well, every single conversation you have or piece of information you communicate or whatever, that could be the end. It's a negotiation, everything. Yeah, yeah. And the more information you give them, mm-hmm. the more grounds for negotiation. Right. It's a bit like being cross-examined in, in, in a court case. Mm. Um, you've got to keep your answers short mm. because the more you give the barrister, mm. the more armory you, you're lending him, letting mm-hmm. him have in relation to you. Because it took me quite a while to work this out. Like, because I'd already been through it three, two or three times before mm. when others had bought into my business, like in big investors like Kerry, et cetera. And, you know, there's this concept of people buying what they call <laughs> buying warranties. Mm. Um, and uh, in other words, they pay a high price, but there's a whole lot of conditions associated with it. And if you don't meet any of those conditions, you, you, they can re, reduce the price and the way yeah. they manage this is you said it earlier they structure the, the way they pay you they say mm. okay the price is 400 million dollars um we'll give you 100 now we'll give you another 100 years time and 100 a year after a year 100 mm. a year after that some long, let's assume that's the case but they've got this list of things that you have told them about the business mm. that the business is going to do it might be forecasts might mm. be all sorts of different things mm. and then you know in your deepest heart of hearts that at some stage they're going to say, well, that 200 we owe you, that's, we need to discuss that. Yeah, let's have a conversation. Yeah, and, and you're right. A lot of people sit back and go, wow, I lo- I, I'm going to do what Toby and Kayla did. I'm going to set run this business and I'm going to sell it to blah, blah, and look, they made this amount of money. I can do the same thing, which mm. well, I would really hope people do think that. But they need to also have some reality and I think also those that burden that you're talking about, that process you're talking about, mm. it actually creates what I call deal fatigue. Oh, absolutely. Like it's and you can't really compare this to and I by, by no means mean this as a negative statement, but it's not really comparable to most normal working no. um you know, four forms of work or employment, right? Uh so if you're a you know uh, been in the company for five years and for all intents and purposes, you think the company's gonna be there tomorrow. And you're pretty decent at your job. You 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 operate with a decent degree of certainty. Yep. You know, you don't wake up every day going like, 10 years of my life, effort, energy, you know, all the sacrifices and all of the potential, you know, wealth or value that I've made. You don't wake up every morning going, that might not be there tomorrow. Yeah. The opportunity to manifest that might not be there tomorrow. And, you know, I think a lot of people would say, oh, you know, but, 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 and that, and that's great. But like, but this is the reality, right? Yeah. You know, and so it's, you know, the equivalent scenario would need to be that an employee would need to go to work every day wondering whether or not they're going to be there the next day, wondering whether or not they're going to get the next paycheck. Like it's a, it's a really hard you know, thing to kind of conceptualize unless you've been in it. Yeah. And it's why it's, I think it's why it's important for people like you to, tell the story um you know it's you know maybe i could tell the story too but like i'm yeah it's it's more it's more real from your point for you to tell the story because it's just happened to you Mm. you've just gone through it and and you're not you're not my age you're much younger and for you to say there's a such a thing called deal fatigue yeah um 
it's it's a real thing. There's just even just leadership fatigue. Yeah, like like even more broadly and generally speaking, like you know, it's uh, you know, and I don't mean that in the sense that you know you start with a tank and you kind of run to zero. Like I don't mean that. It's like I think you know you start the day and you know when you use a bit of energy or something happens, you know that goes down, and then when good things happen, the energy comes back up. Like it's a bit more dynamic. Yeah, but there's a real there's a real uh, you know type of pressure and, and such. You know that it is being in a leadership role and you know dealing with that. And again, like it comes with an amazing list of enjoyable things, but it, it is it is still quite hard. When you're doing the deal, the business is still running too. Mm. So well, you got you have to run the business, yeah. which is a full time role, and do the know, deal. Do the deal, and you're dealing with the pandemic, and 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 you know the list goes on. So you pretty much double your output. I, I felt found I don't because the very thing that I was doing the deal on I couldn't afford to let slip. Mm. That's the business mm. because as soon as the numbers start to slip or something happens, mm. they want to renegotiate. So I think probably I mean because one of the things that intrigued me about having a Magdi today was um you know to talk to someone else who had experienced and there's not that many people I guess but uh, experienced one of the net effects of me was I, I got divorced. Mm. Because for no reason, just that I, well, it's obviously a reason I neglected my my yeah. family. I yeah. mean, because I was getting home at eleven o'clock every night. Mm-hmm. Um, was up at six in the morning. Some nights I slept at work. I slept on the mm. floor in my office on the floor overnight. Yep. Just slept there. I think it's a rite of passage, actually. If it sort of business. is, but it's yeah, but it's sort of, it nearly is. Whether I, I ruin a marriage or whether it just. But because I, I think the deal fatigue that we talked about, the leadership fatigue we talked about, mm. but I think relationship fatigue. Yeah. I um, mean, uh, in your case, it's probably even tougher in some respects because you're you're in it together. Mm. I mean, it, at least my wife was in it. It was not in the in the relationship yeah. in the deal. Um, but she was. But she never got to see me. Like I, if yeah. I wasn't. If I wasn't doing getting home at eleven o'clock because I was working all day, I was on an aeroplane flying because you know we mm. used to issue bonds. I was on a, I was on a plane every six weeks. I fly to America, then to the UK, then to Europe, and I do ten cities in each in in each country in mm. each area, and I'd be away for four weeks trying to raise money so I can lend it here in Australia. Mm. And I did that it, like just every month and a bit, and I did that for years. And then I ran the business back here, and mm. uh, so I was never here. And then I branched in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide, everywhere. So I was all over the joint. Mm. For me. It was ignorance because I didn't realise mm. what I was not attending to. I didn't realise yeah. I was neg- neglecting and fatiguing my whole family, mm. um, uh, not to mention the fact that I didn't spend enough time with my kids either. I, mean, mm. I missed out on school leaving, football games, like just about everything. In hindsight, I, I can say that. I didn't realise it at the time. Did you experience the same stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think our situation was a little different. I mean, generically speaking, is – is running a business a strain on your life in general, and that includes your intimate relationship, um, your know, family, friends, you know, otherwise. Absolutely. I mean, I, I would love to have a conversation with someone that says they've been through it and they had no problems with that. <laughs> like, it'd, totally. be, it'd be, cur- I'd be curious, right? Um, I think for Kayla and I specifically, I mean, when we were actually going through the transaction, we'd already separated like quite some time before. Um, I think the notion of like working with your partner, you know, is it more or less difficult? Well, I mean, it depends on the nature of your work, right? I think Kayla and I were quite lucky in the sense that we had very, whilst we're in the business together, we had quite separate roles. Yeah, so she'd be out, you know, doing events and, you know, um, media relations and content creation and and all that sort of stuff. Um, And I was very much kind of like, you know, in the organization doing the day-to-day, like actually running the business. Um, So 
to be honest, like that was never a, never really a problem. Like I think she'd say the same. Like I don't think that no, was really not living in each other's pockets. So no, no. I mean, yeah, uh, we we and I think as well, like on the travel thing, if anything, it's probably a benefit, right? You know, so Kayla and I, most of the travel, I'd say probably eighty percent or more of the travel, we were traveling together. You know, so when you're in a happy relationship, like that's a good thing, right? Yep. In your case, you know, you're traveling alone and yeah. you know, going around the world. I think um, uh, going through the transaction at the – like as in because we've been separated, I can't remember, for, for probably for over a year I think at this point when we were working on the on the transaction. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't really think in our case it, it actually changed a lot to be honest. Like I mean we'd always been – yeah, we'd always been quite like practical and, you know, commercial and and agreed on agreed on most, you know, most like business-facing things. Um, and so I think like going through the transaction, I mean – the only thing that was different for us, obviously, is that you know, in our particular transaction type, um, uh, we were in the business. We were doing quite separate things. You know, so the notion of our relationship to the business is obviously quite different. You know, I'm a um, you know a, an executive in the organisation. Um, I've obviously stepped away recently, um, but you know, Kayla's uh, you know the most important talent. She's a gigantic marketing asset for the organisation, and is part of the reason that we were successful, right? Um, you know, so from that perspective, you know, the the tension was not actually necessarily between her and I and the deal. It was more so between, you know, um, each of us and individually what we needed, you know, with the acquirer at the time, how do we actually make the transaction, you know, work for both of us. Did the acquirer come back and say, what's the deal between you two? No, like that wasn't, again, I don't think it was really a problem. Like I think, I mean, I think going through the process and you know, initially meeting the first few investors, I think, um, I think it was probably clear that our like, you know, our working and professional relationship was quite strong, so it didn't. It never, to be honest, it never really even came up as a conversation. I don't. I don't think that. Uh, I don't think that it really ever occurred to them that there was a problem because there was no signal that there was ever a relationship issue with us. What do you think it is mm. that allowed you to convince investors, mm. whether buying a whole lot or just a small yeah. lot, small amount, that your relationship was working? So, like, what do yeah. you do to demonstrate that? Yeah, well, and I mean, did you talk about it to Kayla? Yeah, I mean, yeah, a little bit, but I mean, even more so, right? Like, I'd just say, you know, something as simple as, you know, we're on a lot of like, you know, the investor phone calls together. You know, we talked through a lot of those conversations. We had a lot of those discussions. Um, you know, on quite a lot of them, we were sitting literally right next to each other. Like, so, you know, I think if you, I mean, to paint like an alternative picture, like what if I was an investor, I would not want to see, even forget if the founders are a couple, just pretend that, you know, there's a couple of like founding shareholders. If they were awkward with one another and debated with one another and disagreed or whatever, mm. that would probably send me a pretty concerning signal. If I was spook a, you. Yeah, if I was an acquirer, right? Especially, um, you know, even more so, obviously, if you're looking at it's like, oh, well, one or one or more of you founding shareholders, we need to keep you here for however many years or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, I mean, coming back to the whole warranties and indemnities thing, like that'd be that'd be concerning me as an investor for sure. But I think. I mean, honestly, like I, I, you know, I consider myself pretty like lucky and grateful that we, frankly, just it was never really a problem for us. You stayed mates. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and we share a beautiful daughter. You know, she's, yeah, she's totally. three years old this month, um, and we have a really, really good relationship in that regard. So I decided. I mean, I know, and I, I don't want to. I'm not like saying this to generalize and whatever. It's like, but I know that that's not the case for everybody. Yeah. Like, and yeah, that's that's certainly very sad. But it just it wasn't really a problem in our particular circumstance. Do you at any stage reflect on the on the business and the burdens of a business do you reflect on that as at any stage as mm. having affected your relationship with your wife your ex-wife um 
I should say, but Kayla yeah. is a shit yeah. sex wife. Kayla. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. I mean, I'd, I'd, again, I'd probably answer that kind of saying what I said before. I'd say it probably affected my life you know, in a variety of ways mm. that, you know, you don't properly understand. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Like yeah, I mean yeah. that in all senses of the word. Um, I mean, you, even the, you know, the, the joking discussion we had at the beginning, you know, about, um, you know, that I'm training more and I'm fitter and healthier now. Like when you go through a a journey that is you know so intense that it, i don't i don't think like saying that you work 40 hours or 60 hours or 80 or however many hours you want to say you work i don't really think that the volume of hours isn't actually really the thing it's the uh you know it's the intensity yeah. of thought and the intensity of the emotions and the energy right you know like i remember there'd be times like literally i'd uh, you know i've been training in the gym for the better part of 15 years yeah i've been doing martial arts for you have know, a half a decade you know and there'd be times during the particular experience early on during the transaction, whatever, I'd rock up to the gym and I'd be walking on the treadmill and I literally would be like exhausted walking at four kilometers per hour. That's like, slow. And, yeah, and I, yeah, that that's slow. Yeah, and, yeah. and I and you know, and this is at a point where like I would have considered myself pretty physically fit and strong. You know, I'd be you know deadlifting at at least a couple hundred kilos, same squatting, whatever. Like I was a relatively strong guy. I'm not a powerlifter, but a relatively strong guy. Um, but there'd just be some days where you would be so mentally and emotionally drained. Like it would be, a, it would be a gigantic effort just to walk. Yeah. You know, like even other days, like your alarm will go off and I'm, I've always been a pretty decent morning person, but your alarm will go off and you just be like, I'm genuinely not sure if I can get out of bed. Like it's the emotional weight is so much more than, oh, I worked 80 hours, a hundred hours. If anything, I think that people sensationalize that because it sounds I agree. cool. You know, they're like, oh, I'm hustling. And I'm like, well, okay, awesome. And I wish you all the best and I hope that you're very successful. But it's like the, the amount that you work isn't actually the, the the problem. Yeah, and also I'm a firm believer that, you know, if you can make a $100 million company working 10 hours a week. Do it. Do it. Yeah. You know, like you, saying that you did it working 100 hours a week is great, but imagine if you did it in 90 or 80 or 50. Yeah. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you wanna tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You know, like please you, you know what i mean yeah, like, yeah. and you can relate to this yeah, right? like, totally. i think any business owner whether they've exited small medium large or otherwise it doesn't matter if you had this utopian world where you could do the same thing in 10 percent of the time like absolutely you would right you know but it's not um unfortunately yeah this notion of like working lots of hours misses the key point but do you think you like do i mean i i have this view of Every human being, mm. no science attached to it, but every human has so many heartbeats in their heart for their life. Yeah. They have uh, so many brain cells that are going to die at a certain rate in their brain for their life. Mm. Um, they've got 
you know, everything else operates on a on a, a a depletion basis. So it's it's slowly depleting over time. We we shrink as we get older, you know, like in terms of height and, mm. and width and all those sorts of things. And I th- I think also our, our energy is a depletion process. So we we have a certain level of energy. We probably reach a point in our life where we're optimized, mm. and then that's probably when you're at nine or twenty or tw- in your early twenties. And then from then on, it slowly goes down, and that energy is is limited. And you can only apply that energy to some things. Some things will suck all the energy out of you. Mm. And I think when you build a business and it becomes as big as your business did, mm. then it will suck all the energy out of you. Yeah. And then I don't give a shit how strong you are, how <laughs> fit you are, how often you've been going to the gym for, how used to the gym are, how um, uh, undaunting the gym process is for you. Mm. You'll, you'll only be able to walk at 4Ks an hour mm. when you should be running at 14Ks an hour. Right, and I—that's the case, and which mm. means, in my case at least, I had no time to think about what amount of energy I was putting into my family. Mm. I just didn't have, and I—I I didn't even have the energy to think about it. Yeah, it, it goes that far. Yeah. I, I was literally would come home at night, and I would pass out in the bed, and then I would get up and at, like early in the morning I go to the gym only because they kept me sane. Gym, could, well, it's all—it's it a sanity be, it's, thing. It's obligatory, almost, right? Totally, it's part like, of work. Yeah, yeah, and then I mean, yeah, obviously, you hope that every day you're not walking at four k's an hour. You're, you're actually doing an ex, uh, some some legitimate exercise. But I, I think it's um, yeah, for a variety of reasons, whether it be yeah, like mentally therapeutic, or yeah, like obviously physiologically, it's good for you, generally speaking. But I think being able to do that, yeah, for me was like mandatory, right? Like if I wasn't training a lot, I, I couldn't have done normal work, let alone. Yeah, when the things kind of get to the extreme, right? It's just not not tenable. And I think, um, I mean, even uh, I mentioned before, like on the notion of like having a coach and whatever, I've, I always found this to be an interesting concept too, right? Like people are so pent up on how how many hours can I work, right? To achieve whatever goal they want. And they're like, oh, I've got to take care of my body. So I'm going to go and exercise and hopefully people are trying to eat better and whatever as well. But the the, the actual, the right limiter, in business more often than not is actually your brain, right? Like yep. it's your mind yep. and your mindset, however you choose to, you know, frame that up, right? And that I, I like definitely found that to be my issue. You know, could I physically show up to work and work long hours, whatever, absolutely, right? You know, but when did the problems come in? Well, the problems came in. It's like, oh, I've got to make heaps of really big decisions really quickly. Yeah, you know, I've got to deal with heaps of really stressful contention, high contention conversations. Like um, that's the mental fatigue, you know, that I always like found more difficult. So like, you know, I, I, I can comfortably say I would have disproportionately, I would have invested at least 10 times as much money into trying to hone my mindset that I ever did, you know, my body or anything else. You mean like through coaches and reading? Oh, and, absolutely. And like, courses yeah. and everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have spent, you know, going back to the, you know, the whole hours of input piece again, like I would have comfortably spent more hours in the last five years, I would have spent far more hours on, you know, like learning, upskilling in coaching sessions, you know, going to seminars, meeting with people or whatever, than I would have in the gym. At maximum, I would have spent, I don't know, maybe an hour in the gym, four or five days a week, and then maybe, I don't know, five to eight hours of, you know, like martial arts, like jiu-jitsu during the week, which is still a fair bit, but like that would that would be the max, right? But I might be, you know, maybe I'd read two hours a day, you have a couple of hours a week of coaching calls with my coach or with other people. I'd network with you know, like three to five people per week at least and each of those would be one hour. Yeah, like, and this would go on and on and on and on, right? It's never ending. Would you yeah. call that brain gym? 
Yeah, well, whatever, right? It's, I try to be mentally fit. Yeah, yeah, that's right? what I'm saying. Brain right. gym, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of us, lot, not a lot of us, a lot of people sort of forget about that. They just think, mm. um, I go to work. Mm. Why isn't anything happening? Well, because your brain's not really ready for it. You know, like, well, yeah, and the, and the whole efficiency thing before, like, you know, you make the joke about can you build a $100 million company in 10 hours a week? Um, it's a fascinating question in itself. But, like, yeah, one of the things I kind of always said to myself, and I think I mentioned earlier when we're talking about the marketing piece, like, how much of the stuff that most business people do, how much of that stuff or how many of those problems that they face have never been solved? Mm. Not many of them. Mm. Most of them have been solved, yeah. right? Unless you're, you know, inventing the next silicon chip or you're, you know, Elon Musk trying to inhabit. Or you're building you know, a supercomputer or something. Right, whatever. Yeah. Quantum yeah. computing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a very small list. Yeah, yeah Totally. Like compared to the total list, yeah. there's a very small list of problems in the world and in business that have not been solved compared mm. to the ones that have been yep. you know, solved in terms of what we're focusing on today. Because there's lots of questions we don't even know exist yet, mm. right? But like as it relates to business specifically, you know, and you're like, oh, like what to do about this people problem? Or what about this finance problem? Or like I've got to raise money or like oh, how do I fix this marketing thing? It's like the answer exists probably somewhere to be honest it probably exists in many places and so if you're not investing in like mental upskilling or whatever like you can work a thousand hours a week obviously that's not possible but you can work as many hours a week as you want you could not sleep for the whole year but you're really just burning through time inefficiently because you haven't yet discovered that there's a more efficient way to think and solve the problem so efficiency is a big thing for you now you just mentioned mm. you did jujitsu or you mm. still do jujitsu yeah. Tr- trying well, well, so trying. Uh, yeah okay but so but it's quite interesting that you do that because um, jiu-jitsu is a, quite a technical fighting method. Mm. Um, it's on the ground, yep. generally speaking. Most of it's on the ground. Um, very technical, but it is also about efficiency. Mm. Um, Absolutely. Somebody, when I say somebody, you know, either a Japanese person or someone mm. from Brazil, there's a, very, a whole lot of people are doing it, and some people from Australia for that matter, have worked out the, the most efficient ways to get out of a difficult position. Mm-hmm. Um, they've worked out very efficient ways to resolve that. Does something like jujitsu actually help you in business? Do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, I, I would simplify it like really easily, right? Is it? It's this notion of like uh, in jujitsu specifically. So let's right? say I got you in the guard position, and yeah. uh, my legs are sort right. of well, wrapped around the back of your what, hip there. What, what are the options, and what are the, like eh. what are the principles? Yeah. Right. And 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 I think this is like uh, you know in business, like a lot of people forget when you're. Yeah, I'm not saying that your emotions are kind of off when you're fighting, but like, you know, if you're just rolling around sparring with someone, like you're not really like most of the time, you're not really emotional about it. It's kind of like it's quite a flow-like, you know, environment to be in. Um, when you're in business, like your emotions are peaking all the time. And so, you know, let's use an example, right? You've got an employee, they work with you for five years, they're one of the first employees that you recruited. They are the nicest human in the world, always get you presents, always celebrating you, so happy, so, 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 so happy, right? But they're shit at their job. And no matter how hard you try, you've led the horse all the way to water, but it just won't drink. You just, you cannot for the life of you get them to perform, right? They've got to go. That's a really hard situation. And most people will kind of go, oh, but, 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 what do I do? Oh, yeah, and they'll empathize or they'll sympathize or about them or themselves. You know, there's this massive, you know, thought process to it. But without being kind of blunt, right? You know, like employment, you know, is the notion of, you know, uh, bringing a person who has knowledge, skills, capabilities into a business to complete tasks, right? Mm. 
And in exchange for completing those tasks, you pay them a salary or wage, give or take, keeping it really simple here. And if that person is not able to achieve the outcomes that are associated with the delivery of the uh, completion of the tasks that you've assigned them to, over a period of time, if they're failing to do that, well, then they can't, you can't keep them in the business because then basically you're paying them to not deliver what the business needs. Mm. And unfortunately, uh, most commercial principals would suggest that that's not going to last very long for the business, right? So as the person in the decision-making decision, decision um, making seat, that's a very hard decision. you got a friend here, really nice human being. They're so lovely. They had so much positive emotional value to life. But commercially, it doesn't really make sense, right? That is the emotional drain. Hmm. right like that's what those type of decisions are what drains people you know wondering whether or not you're going to be able to pay bills next week or whatever because of cash flow because stock hasn't arrived yet whatever these things right like that's the drain you don't get that in many other areas of your life i practice that process of detaching yeah and i find it quite easy now because i've been doing it for so long the way you describe the employee Mm. or let's just call the person the colleague Mm. showed a fair amount of exercise of detachment and you just looked at the the logic Mm-hmm. as to what the deal is. Yeah. How hard is it or was it for you to master that process? Uh, Again, I'm just going to before yeah. answer, it's a bit like if I uh, get you in the guillotine yeah. and you've never been in the guillotine before. Yeah, you start freaking out. Yeah. I mean, my, my interesting experience was so understanding the logic and the principles was, was actually like the easier part for me. Um, but to your point around your know, detachment, which I think is an interesting word here, right? Being able to separate the logic from the emotion, one part, and then obviously then being able to make a decision, even though the emotion is still there and then proceed with the decision, even though it's an incredibly uncomfortable experience. You know, uh, logic part was never really super hard for me. Committing to this decision-making thing, you know, I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't think I ever really mastered that. I got much better at it. Yeah, you know, um, but I think your mastery of that would be, um, you know, feeling all of the discomfort with needing to make that decision and just instantly doing it anyway, right? I, I, I definitely can say that, you know, I probably never got to a point where it's just like instantaneous. And I think that's because, you know, I mean, I, I mean, saying that you struggle with compassion is an interesting sentence in itself, right? But like, you know, I, I always, you know, really wanted to put myself in the other person's shoes and this and that and the other beforehand. And, you know, had a, had a couple of, um, I mean, probably a bad word in this particular context, but a couple of quite iconic, you know, relationship or employment breakdowns where I had to, you know, let people go through the journey. And like, yeah, there'd be times like I'd almost be in tears thinking about the conversation that I had to have because I was like, oh, you know, uh, person X has just got a loan for their new house. They've just had their third kid. The first two kids are just about to start it like in a private school college their partner doesn't work. They're the key bread maker in their family. You bastard. I'm firing you. You know, like, like that is, I mean, I'm, I mean, I, again, like, I don't know if anyone find that conversation easy, but I certainly, you know, didn't. And I, and there'd be times, you know, I'd delay. Is days, that because you got weeks. too close to them though? Well, this is the thing, right? It's like, you know, well, this, this wasn't this particular example. I wasn't really even close to this person. It was more so just like on a human level. I can understand that you have no awareness that we're about to have a conversation that's fundamentally going to complicate every aspect of your life and make you incredibly unhappy. But I need to have that conversation with you because I have an obligation to this business and its shareholders or whoever else it might be. Also, as a leader, you have an obligation to the rest of the team members. You've got 10 people on a team, nine are pulling their weight and one's not. The other nine are looking at you wondering why that person's still there. 
you know, so there's all these stakeholders. It reflects badly on you. Uh, absolutely. It sounds like to me you put yourself in their shoes. Does that mean um, your ability to empathise, which, by the way, is a really important uh, characteristic to run a business yeah. and, and to, to understand your audience and the whole lot of stuff. Yeah. But is that um, ability to empathise sort of misdirected because, as I said, mm. for me it's a matter of detaching yeah. and never being attached. Yeah, yep. And at all mm. if, if possible. Mm. Um, and keeping yourself away from any opportunity to, to become attached. Mm. In other words, be friendly. Yeah. But step back away, step back away from yeah, it. You know, like stay. Uh, you're not going to get too close to me, sort mm. of thing. Mm. Because you're younger, mm. more likely just to go in boots ball. You're all friends, you're all mates, and uh, I understand uh, your early life. Early on, for sure. Yeah, early on, it was that way. I think uh, later on, yeah, definitely a lot more. Kind of like, I mean, professional is a strong word, yeah. right, obviously, but yeah, more more corporate like almost, yeah, yeah. if you will, as opposed to the whole. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of uh, startups, you know, organisations early on, it's all like you know we're a family. Yeah, we're all hanging out yeah, in the garage yeah, together. Yeah, and we, we throw out all of these anecdotes. You know, that, oh Bezos said that you know if you can't feed a team with two pizzas and the team is too big, you know, we, yeah. we go through all of these things, right? And, that, and that's awesome. Um, but if you're yeah, if you're going to be incredibly successful, it's likely that you're going to have more people. Not many companies get bought out for a billion dollars with thirteen employees like Instagram. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't happen very often. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you know, so if we're running the assumption that you're going to have a bigger team, like unfortunately you can't operate like a family because the, one of the key distinctions between a family and a team, which is an organization or sports team, whatever, is um, you know, that support in teams is largely predicated upon performance, whereas support in families, there, there is no need to perform yeah. in, in one sense, right? Yeah. We will love you regardless. Yeah, yeah. As my child or my brother it's or unconditional. my parent, yeah, I will unconditionally love you. Um, but in an organization, you will not unconditionally be paid. Yeah, You will very much conditionally be yeah. paid you will be conditionally blah 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 whatever the you know things are right um and so you going back to the point around you know like empathy and compassion and such like uh it's a super interesting thing right i mean i'd love to be able to say if i work with someone for five years and they left or i had to fire them or whatever i would have hoped that i'd done a good enough job as a leader to build a relationship with them where we could have that conversation as adults and that the relationship like between us would not end as a result of the employment ending yeah. But obviously that's there's a, that's a two-way street. Mm. You know, so I mean, yeah, like I, I definitely found it difficult. Um, but I mean, I, I would gladly go out for a coffee or a drink or whatever with, you know, any of my previous employees. Um, but that ultimately requires them to still be, you know, happy to do so, right? If you set up a new business today though, would you go about it a different way? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I advise, you know, mentor founders now. I've, I've got a few other business interests of my own and investments and such like – Absolutely. Yeah. And like, I think the, I mean, one of the key things that occurs to me now, you know, being able to work with people and businesses from the other side of the fence is very much like, well, make sure your expectations are like incredibly clear with each person and each role and whatever they bring to business. Cause very early on, they're not. And that's actually part of the problem. You know, like a lot of people end up feeling so emotionally hard done by because they're not really clear on what performance is. And then, that conversation happens and they're like, oh, but, but, but. And then the founder feels bad and then so you end up in this kind of cyclical conversation that never really resolves either in them keeping their job and performing or them leaving. It's this gray space in between where they're kind of here but they're kind of not yeah, really never really performing. told me. Yeah. yeah. It didn't really let me know about that. Um, yeah, and that's just obviously, I mean, that's obviously sophistication and management. Right? Mm. But the issue is that most people that are founding companies are first-time 
founders, right? Yeah. That's not 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 heaps of them have um, extensive management experience, or if they do, it's a it's management experience, but not to the degree that is necessary. What do you do when you uh, make a whole lot of money? Uh, so you know you're not working in the business anymore because you've mm. recently uh, retired from the business. Yeah. Um, uh, you've got a new partner. I see on I just because I follow you on Instagram. I see mm. so you got a new partner and. Uh, Go to the gym, as you said. <laughs> Training with a, uh, a lot less stress, you can you mm. can go better than four k's an hour. Yeah. Um, what do you do though to feed your your need for speed? Mm. Uh, a lot of people say, "Oh, yeah, but it's so good, you know, you can retire." No, that's, that's not all me. bullshit. Yeah, that's not me. But it's all bullshit. No, You're only a young man anyway. For a start, mm. I mean, you got a little three year old girl. Obviously, you got to spend time with her and yep. know, all that sort of stuff. But what what does Toby do now? Well, you know, so I'm I'm four weeks out. Yeah, like so. It was four weeks ago. So it's well. It's, what's taking so long? Yeah, well, exactly. Come on, what get on to it. What I've been doing. Um, so it's it's an interesting uh, interesting transition. Yeah. So, like you know, four weeks ago, uh, you know, Friday celebratory drinks with the team, say goodbye, blah blah blah. Obviously, it's a weekend. Weekend doesn't really feel real and official because it's a weekend. And then so Monday arrives, right? And I do my normal daddy duties. You know, take Anna to daycare and whatever, and then I get home after having breakfast out. Hello. <laughs> Sit, sitting on the couch and like, look at my calendar. Netflix. Yeah, looking around, whatever, anyway. So, you know, the first week, like, there was definitely this, uh, I was kind of like, oh, well, yeah, what happened? So I read 10 books, right? I read 10 books. I trained heaps, you know, like, uh, just did a whole bunch of other sort of, like, random bits and bobs. I'd recently moved house, so I had some house, like, home stuff to do as well. And I get to the second week and I was like, no, oh, I started, like, learning about crypto and NFTs more and, you know, whatever, all that, just the interesting stuff. And I was like, Okay, it's a couple of days. And so anyway, you get to this interesting point where you realize that you're going to fill the space anyway with something, right? And to your point, it's like, what does retirement really look like? It's just time filled not with work. Yeah. Time filled with alternative means, right? You know, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd already been doing this whole like work with founders and advisory work for a while anyway. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'll amp that up a little bit and I'll do some investing and, you know, place place some money with, um, you know, some different businesses and whatever. But it's an interesting thought because now I'm sitting here being like, well, if we just forget that the short term exists being a few weeks or months or whatever, and I kind of go long term, I was like, what's that look like for me? Which begs the question, well, what am I missing now that I had previously, you know, really when I was you know, on that journey with sweat, right? Like what, what has actually missed, you know? And I was like, well, yeah, like having a problem to solve, like having a big chunky problem to solve and always having like a purpose to you know, wake up and go work on is something that you probably don't really, to your point before about not reflecting on it while you're in it, mm. you don't realize while you're in it, like, oh, you're working your hours and dealing with stress and whatever. That's awesome. Like that that actual experience is quite awesome. Yeah, and you, for, for me and my personality, I'm not the whole, I want to go and retire. Like I'm always a cool, like what's the next problem to solve? I'm sitting here be like, well, okay, I need to find something that's really big and really complicated and it's going to contribute in a positive way to society. How, how the hell do you do that? You know, because all the skills that I've built up, you know, largely over the last 10 years have basically been about building an organization, scaling an organization and managing, an organi- managing and selling an organization, which is very different to figuring out what is the idea. When I started the initial business, the idea to me was quite serendipitous. It was just like, oh, well, yep, these things come together. I'm at this point in time. This makes logical sense. Let's go. Yeah. But now, completely different person, completely different time, nearly a decade later. Do you have to retrain yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, like absolutely. This is like, you know, part of the thing. So you're like, you know, uh, and, you know, kind of this statement, you know, like how do I – 
how do I make myself a novice every day? Because the only way I'm going to kind of stumble across new ideas and opportunities and whatever is by obviously being in places that I don't know everything or I'm not an expert in, right? Like, um, so I'm like, okay, well, how do I be a novice every day? Yeah, and that this was actually part of the reason why I started jujitsu, you know, quite a while ago now was because I was four or five years into the business journey and, you know, I was in a senior role, had a team and was in, in a leadership position and I was like, oh, you know, I was like, I'm – I'm not really like I'm, I don't really feel like I'm getting to be a beginner enough. It's just quite yeah, comfortable. Yeah. So it's stressful but it's comfortable if that makes sense. Yeah, it's yeah. a strange you know, concept. You get comfortable in that stress. Yeah and so then so the notion before I was like okay I was like well I'm, I'm going to go I always you know, thought MMA was interesting so I go to that you know, and start up doing some jiu-jitsu classes and go I'm nearly 100 kilos and train with a friend of mine who's you know, 75, 80 kilos and you thought he threw around like a rag doll? <sighs> Absolutely, As yeah. Ba- basically, but put me, put me unconscious nearly like a couple of times that in that session, and like, and you have this realization that like, no matter how good you are at something else, or how expert or um, yeah, erudite, erudite you might be over here, you are a beginner at everything else. Still, yeah, great. pretty much right. And so, like that, that was an incredibly good learning for me at the time. And so now that I'm kind of on the other side of the deal, I'm like, awesome. I'm like, I need to find that like novice type experience, but I need to discover it in all these different types of businesses and areas of businesses. And so like, you know, obviously the flavor of the month is, you know, the metaverse and NFTs and crypto and whatever. It's like, how do I blend this notion of being a novice with 10 years of, you know, business experience to identify like where opportunities are going to present themselves and how do I get into the investor and founder community to, you know, help and contribute there and learn more as well, right? There's nearly like a fog that comes over you and makes Mm. you become defensive. Mm. So, you know, like you make a lot of money, you can turn defensive in mm. terms of what you're prepared well, to do. You're spending all this time. You spend ten years being defensive that you need to make the money. Yeah, and then as soon as you get it, then you want to spend all your time being defensive to not lose it. Correct, but, but it's the wrong mindset. So, so I was going to say you haven't yeah. gone through that process. Well, I, went, I went through the process for a short period of time, mm. um, but then I, I soon, within one year, I, I, you know, I went the other way. I, mean, mm. I just said, "Fuck it, I'm just going to go back out and do what I've always done." Yep. But but this is the thing, right? Like it's a uh, I mean, most things in life, like are the imperfect processes, right? And we're building a business is imperfect. You're investing money to make more money is is an imperfect process. I mean, even some of the most like prolific investment firms in the world, like they basically, you know, it's all a probability game. Yeah, but they lose someone else's money. Well, this, 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 yeah, actually, that's probably true. That's probably a good point. This is your but, money. But, but nonetheless, if you look at the person, yeah, yeah. it's like your professional investor yeah, yeah. is what you do as totally, a job, right? Totally. Your money is someone else's. Like there is like mistakes will be made. Totally. You know? Warren Buffett says mistakes yeah, will be totally. made, right? Like it's going to happen, you know? So you're not going to have 100% strike rate, but you don't need to. You, know, you only have to have a low strike rate, but obviously that those strikes, you know, be become disproportionately positive. If that's your VC game, if you're yeah. more conservative, you know, put it in bonds or the ASX or whatever it is. Yeah, you but then do. you get, then you feel like you're missing out. Well, that's it, not that's not really that much fun. But you also think to yourself, well, hang on, I could have made more money. What happens? We're not well, going through the process. It's FOMO, right? I, I went I went and put a whole lot of money in different things, and uh, you know, in the share market, whatever. And I thought, no, I just wanted a defensive return. Pay me a, you know, a, what they call the Oz yield. Let me give me six percent, fully franked or whatever it was. Mm. Then I had mates setting up businesses, you know, and, and uh, they, they were just screaming. Uh, you know, value value accretion like every year it gets gone mental. I thought, wait a minute, what, what am I doing? Um, I'm missing out on all this sort mm. of stuff. And I and I thought you're being too conservative, Mark. You're, you're yeah. playing defensive. Um, and I'm never comfortable unless I'm actually taking a risk. 
Yeah, you, you and that's to, my personality. You got to kind of. I mean, I, I dislike I the saying, but like you, you need to risk it for the biscuit. Yeah, right? yeah. like to a degree. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. as in, I mean, you don't want to go out and be stupid and throw your money around, but like you need to. There needs to be some conservatism, kind of blended with some almost naive risk. You know, like and when you think about this, like a lot of the world's biggest companies have really been made off of quite a lot of naivety, as in in the sense that people were naive enough to actually try. You know, yeah, yeah, totally. like, and that sounds kind of like no, no, that's right. It sounds, sounds kind of stupid. I say but, lucky, but lu- I was lucky to be naive. Yeah, because I didn't know what I was getting get myself into. Yeah, 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 correct. Yeah, and it's uh, you need to. I mean, obviously, there's a whole bunch of uh, research here and personality and whatever that's needed. But like, you know, the curiosity that's not kind of barred by too much knowledge, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you should say naive because a lot of people say to me, you know, in relation to my some of my successes, mind you, I've had plenty of the opposite mm. um but people don't ever tend to concentrate on my successes but was there any luck involved and i would say of course it was luck it is naivety i was lucky that i didn't know a lot of stuff because i probably wouldn't have done a few mm. of the things that i went and did mm. and it was just my own sort of you know punishing personality that made me stay in it yeah um you know uh, you know and just hang in there because i don't like being beaten so i'll just stay in it no matter <laughs> what but it was naivety that would have got me in there in the first place and naivety um that kept me um reinvesting my time and effort and etc mm. emotions into something um i and I'm, i i i'll be honest here i think i think I'm much i'm much better at that type of stuff than i am in investing in relationships mm. how about you You've gone through this process. You're obviously very successful. You're good at this business risk-taking because, you know, relationships are about Mm. risk, managing the risk as well. Um, How do you balance those two things up? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Like are you better at one than the other or you're pretty good at both? To differentiate the two, I think like I I mentioned earlier, like I always found the understanding business and the logic and whatever was always a little bit easier. I think I always understood the relationships, yeah, like with the employees and whatever, but I think like putting the put, put, putting the required amount of energy, effort and time into it didn't come automatically to me. Yeah. Yeah, so like as you know, as I got like later in the piece and even now like working on other businesses that I own, you know, like it's a making decisions about, you know, like strategy planning, data finance, or whatever, like that's quite intuitive to me. I don't really need to like consciously think or plan about that. Like it, it's it's quite almost automatic. But when it comes to like the the people in the relationship side, I'm like, oh, no, I need to stop here. I'm like, you know, do we have the right people? And am I building the right relationship with those people? And am I giving them enough time for what they need? Because it's not just about what I need, you know, and all these sorts of things. And like, I mean, I, I definitely found that more challenging because, um, yeah, I, I just like to work. Like I'm a real workhorse, like I like to be in it, but like, like not not all people like to work that way. Some people want to sit down and chat and talk things through. Um, but that was something that I probably struggled with a little bit, but over time certainly built the skill, yeah. And your journey, you know, it was a long journey um, and it was, you know, stressful but fun too. Mm. I mean, it was – and uh, and it's probably – you wouldn't change a thing, I'd say. Um, it's not obviously your journey, your overall journey is not finished, but you know that that's where journey's finished. Yeah, you got paid for it. Um, you know you've part of company from the joint. Um, you've maintained a good relationship with Kayla, and and obviously you've got a beautiful daughter. Yeah, you're you've got a new relationship now. Um, you're looking to doing different things. Mm. What two things could you could we wrap with? Mm. And I'll share two with you as well. Mm. Yeah, great question. Really good question, and like it's you know the, the it it seems like a simple question, and it's easy to ask, right? As you know, but I think answering it's hard. I've been thinking about it for a lot longer than you probably. Yeah. To. Well, in my three seconds of uh, you know thought, I think, uh, you know, I think the, I mean, the 
broadly speaking, that whole topic about, you know, mental fitness, like I think that's a really undervalued you know, area. And what I'm saying that what I'm really meaning is, and it's different things to different people, but, you know, like do you have a coach, do you, are you meditating or journaling? Like what, what are you doing to keep your mental balance? And I don't mean that as like a prescriptive thing that's the same for everybody because I think it's different from everybody, but, you know, like how – who or what is your resource to help you survive, you know, the emotional toll is probably you know, yep. one thing. Um, I think uh, probably not entirely unrelated, you know, to that. Um, you know, second point I'd probably say, uh, again, something similar that I kind of touched on before is this notion of like infinite learning. Like, and it's not, that's not my concept, you know, so I don't want to yeah, take yeah. like the credit for that. But yeah, the notion of infinite learning, which is basically that you're never not learning, you're just, you're just constantly consuming, you know, knowledge and content. Like I think, if you really want to, you know, have a, a journey in business that's uh, efficient um, and hopefully not that painful and hopefully a little bit less stressful than it needs to be, well, you know, learn what need, figure out what needs to be learned and then learn that from people or resources, you know, that exist that have kind of been there and done that, you know, like you don't need to go through the pain of discovering everything for the first time. You know, it's like you didn't go back to basics and build your first car. You bought your first car or your first bike. Well, more people, more people than not did, right? You know, um, you don't need to like learn all of those things for yourself. You don't need to discover all of those. A lot of this knowledge is purchasable, or you know, you can attain it, you know, through networks. So I would, I feel like that that focus on constantly learning and then ultimately learning things that have already been solved. It's just a mat. It, it honestly, it feels like a bit of a cheat code, like it's a bit of a shortcut, but. A lot of people are quite convinced that the answers are not out there, and I think it's that notion of having that closed mindset or fixed mindset is what actually like prevents a lot of you know free free success in some regard. Well, and I've thought about this a lot, and uh, and I've been asked a lot, but I've thought about it. I've had twenty years to think about it because I did my deal twenty years ago. <laughs> I'll be back in twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll, we'll have a different conversation. It'll be interesting then. if you tell me the same thing. So, the t- the two main things that um, I've I've would say I got out of my various experiences. Um, the first one is never go into, as an entrepreneur now I'm talking about, mm. never go into a business or commence a business or start a business up if you're looking to make money. Mm. So money is um, just the final outcome. Um, you know, like, a, a, you know, you'll be able to look back on a 10 years and say, oh, I drew $10,000 a year out of it or mm. I sold it for whatever I sold it for. Mm. But never go in for that reason. I actually believe you should go in it for the purpose of learning. Mm. So I, you know, I'm much older than you and uh, for me learning is probably one of the most important mm. um, things we do in life. Yeah, likewise, I believe. It's so, so important. Um, it, is, it is really what life's about. Mm. Um, it's learning about relationships and learning about products or processes or distribution or people or it's all and you, you always got to be prepared to just continue to learn about what it, what it is that say – that particular business venture mm. is going to give to you as an experience. I think so. Learning is particularly important to me, that, and as that, it has to be the major reason you go into the business. Mm. The second one for me is um, it's nothing to do with business, and uh, and it's only something I've worked out much later in my life. It's about to remember about those people who are important to you. Um, so make sure you know who they are, mm. you identify them, and you never abandon them during that period. Yeah. Agreed. So like 
your daughter in your case, in mm. my case, my sons, my grandson these mm. days, my dad who's still alive, my mum's not alive, but um, my brother, my sister, like, you know, you can't have too big a group, mm. <laughs> a couple of my friends, I guess, but who are those people and how often do I communicate to them and, and, mm. and let them know what they mean in your life to you? Yeah, well, you get, you get an autopilot, right? Yeah, and totally. It's, and you and just think because they're the people mm. we take for granted. Sorry to point no, that. No, because when you're in in the deal, you know, when you're in the game, mm. you tend to think about, okay, who's cool? Who do I not have to worry about? Mm. Like who's sweet? Which is kind of a defensive negative mentality. It's stupid right? too yeah. when I think about it. Like, yeah. But actually they're the people who – worry about you the most and they mm. suffer the most mm. because and you ultimately suffer because you lose contact. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think for me, you know, I've been through it too many times and you know, I've been, you know, three times married, you know, and and really every time was because I forgot I lost sight of those things mm. and uh, I'm not blaming myself for any, for any stretch of imagination but like, you know, I, I'm never going to lose sight of that stuff again. Mm. That I know who my friends are yeah. and I'm – friends and family obviously mm. um, and I know who they are and I think that when you get into the new deal, you can't spread yourself too thin. No. Make sure you look after them. Mm. Well, yeah, and, and what and the thing is as well, right, wh- whatever you think or however much time you think it's going to take you to complete a task, especially in business, it's almost always going to be multiples of that more. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah, so like you go into this thing and say, oh, I'll just give it a day a week <laughs> and then I have all this time to like – it never ever works out that way, and also, and and not for all bad reason, for good reason too. Because if it's successful and it's doing well, and you're winning, and you want to win more, like you, you contribute more. But to your point, it's like you know, having some of these rules in place. You know, like you know, much, much earlier on, like you know, just even things like you know, you'll be I'll be home at six p.m. every single night for family dinner, Monday to Friday, non-negotiable. Mm. Don't I don't like I don't know, give a shit who you are or what meeting you want. I'm not doing it. That's family dinner, right? It's like, and yeah, once that's done, whatever it is, 7.30 or whatever, it's like, I'm going to the gym. I don't give a shit who you are or yeah. what you want to do. It's like, I'm going to the gym because I was training in the evening, so I didn't want to work out in the mornings. So I'd rather work in the mornings. Yeah, so like having a few of these like really basic rules in place, you know, like obviously they're different or whatever for me now, but it's like, you know, like for like Arna and I, for example, like one of the one of the greatest things for me, for me, you know, now I take Arna out for a date every day before we go to daycare. So we always go to a breakfast cafe or go for a walk or do something, whatever it is, just her and I, keeping in mind she's nearly three and we can't really have proper conversations. It's mostly me listening to her talk about stars and unicorns and cute stuff. But but it's that same thing, right? I'm like, I have all this time in the world, but I'm like, that's great. But no matter what changes in my life now, no matter what business I get involved in, what I do, it's like for me, like that's a that's a hard no. Like I don't care who you are. Yeah. On those days at that time, I'm yep. unavailable. Yep. As much as it sounds boring, these rules or these um, concepts within your life mm. – they're the sorts of things that I've learned, sort of, which is what my question was to you mm. was really. Mm. What are the rules? Yeah, and uh, they're two rules for me, and we share the learning one. Mm. Um, and I, I actually think if you don't have a, a, a desire, like a, like I have a not a passion, a, like mm. a like an insatiable desire to mm. learn about stuff, mm. and it doesn't it doesn't matter what it is. It's yeah. just generally speaking, being curious. Like I mean. Trav, like me and my coach before, like he said this thing to me once, which I just thought, like it's 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 such a simple way of thinking, but like it completely changed the way I understood myself and then the way that I kind of interfaced the world. He's like, Toby, think of everything that you do, pretty much everything in life, especially everything in business, as an experiment. 
Mm. So, like, so like, you know, I have this other business, you know, on the side, um, you know, that I've been working on for a couple of years at arm's distance. And he's like, you are in a fabulous opportunity right now to experiment how to grow a business. Mm. He's like, that's your experiment. And when we're going through the whole sweat transaction thing, he's like, this is an experiment for you to see based on the first time you did a transaction of this type that didn't work. Take your learnings from that, create your new hypothesis about what you need to do to deliver it, and then this is an experiment for you to deliver it. And if it doesn't work out, you won't be too disappointed because this is an experiment. And you learn and then you move yeah, on, right? Yeah. But, it, but it's fascinating because, I mean, I'm, I've always been familiar with this notion of thought experiments, which is just you create like a lab in your mind about something and you try to break the process in your own mind. But then like using real-world situations in your life as an experiment as well is, is, is actually quite interesting, you know, and... And I started to realize subconsciously I'd almost done this for a long time. I was like, oh, I'll create my training program this way to see if I can get this result. You know, or I'll approach my jiu-jitsu training this way to see if I can have better retention and application of you know, skill. Or I'm going to try and see if I can learn this piece of music on the piano in this way or whatever it might be. And I was like, sure, I was like, that's actually been like an invisible key to some success I've had in certain areas of my life. And now I kind of go, before I'm going to do anything, I'm like, oh, what's my hypothesis here? You know, like how do I actually think this is going to play out and – it's just a really interesting way of thinking. And I, it's funny, as sitting in that very seat there, um, for someone who loves jiu-jitsu, um, I had John Kavanagh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, um, about uh, a month or so ago. And um, I'm invested in business with him and uh, mm. other some other people. So, But we're talking about – he was here to launch that business, the, the, the change of name for the business. It's mm. come to Australia for that reason. But he wrote a book called um, Winning or Learning. Mm. And uh, – and he basically, his hypothesis is we never lose. Yeah, you only learn, right? Yeah. And if you go about, it's a bit like what your coach said. Mm. Um, if you go about your life, yeah, win's a win, good tick, mm. right? But if, but I never lose. I just learn from that. Mm. And then I can go on. I'm never going to be so disappointed that it's going to knock me out. you're never devastated. And, and this is the thing, like, I, again, you know, the kind of great learning was, like, if we view things as winning and losing, it's like that means that, you know, and you're never ever really that excited about your wins, as dumb as that totally. sounds. Totally, you know, 100%. Win, you move on, right? But like then from a loss perspective, it's like it's disproportionately devastating. Yeah. You know, like it, it's almost like soul-destroying because we have this pent-up expectation. But, yeah, changing the, you know, your kind of philosophy or perspective on that to being like, well, that it's that didn't work. It's not I didn't lose. It's that approach didn't work. Yeah, yeah. And, you, and on that basis, you never lose. Correct. Because I'm always gaining. Mm. I'm either winning because the transaction's done. Yeah. Or I'm learning something, which means I'm winning. Mm. I've improved my life. Yep. So winning or learning. And uh, it's been, been fantastic to catch up with you. It's, uh, you know, I said when you first came in um, how well you look, how healthy mm. you look. But what's <laughs> interesting right. is that, uh, you know, you're not you're only a young guy um, and you've done, you've done something amazing in such a short period of time for a young man. But what you've um, – wisdom that you seem to have obtained at such a young age is quite amazing too. So I congratulate oh, That's what I want to congratulate you on. No, thank you, you very did, much. You did the deal. That's great. But the wisdom that you seem to have mm. is amazing for someone your age. So well done. Congratulations. No, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Honestly, I consider that to be probably one of the biggest compliments I've ever received because it's not free, mm. right? Like you don't get your knowledge and experience are free. It's quite painful, frankly. Correct. Yeah. So no, thank you very much. Wisdom's about the best thing we can ever get. Mm. Well done. No, thank you. Toby Pierce. Good to catch up, mate. Thanks a lot.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistance, Jonathan Leondis. This is a mentored podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.